Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have special guest, author Maggie Wells. Welcome to the podcast, ma'am. Yay! Thank you for having me here. I'm uh, a longtime listener, so I'm super excited. Thank to, you. To be here. And I must say, mm-hmm. listeners, you can't see her, but I love your glasses. <laughs> Yes, no. they're delightful. They're like a, they're like pink leopard, and I just felt so wild. I, yeah, my husband was like, "What did you do?" I'm like, I, "You know, pandemic, right?" I, I just wanted, it. and that's pretty much the the thing in my life right now. I just wanted it, so yeah, I did it. Yeah, yes, I treated yep. myself. Tell us how 2021 has been for you. <laughs> 2021. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, a, a few of other authors that I have talked about this, I actually had an easier time with 2020. Now, I will say I work a day job and I worked all through the pandemic. I'm an essential worker. I work with a railroad adjacent. So we worked mm-hmm. the whole time. So that was really good for me because I am a person who needs structure in their lives. That was good for me. But 2021 has definitely been the otter of the two years for me. And I think because in 2020, I was so busy writing the series for her. I had a series for Harlequin Entry that I was in the drafting phase for that um, I really was head down doing it. And then at the beginning of 2021, when I turned that last book and, and all of a sudden I had time on my hands, I was like, well, all of a sudden the haze hit me. And I feel like I was in a haze pretty much until June. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and then I had another book I had to start drafting. So I had to, I had to hunker down and focus again. And then these books started releasing. So um, now it's been crazy hectic. Um, but uh, it's definitely been a harder year for me, I think, than 2020 was personally, because 2020, I was just trying to do my best to keep everything running uh, yeah. as best I could. Yeah. In all in all phases of the life. So when you get in one of those um, kind of like a fog, you know, but you have you have these deadlines and stuff like that, like how do you pull yourself out of it? Oh, I'm an excellent goofer offer. Um, I, I watch TV that makes me happy. Um, okay. I'm a Ted Lasso junkie. He's so popular right now. <laughs> and, you know, Gilmore Girls and any, if it's uh, got a lot of dialogue and fast and furious talking, I'm in their West Wing Frasier to date myself. Oh, I um, love Frasier. <laughs> I'm watching it all the way through for the first time right now. Are you? Oh my goodness. Well, we'll talk about the one where Niles thinks he is going to have the baby with the flower bag. Um, <laughs> that is my all-time favorite. I can't stop thinking about it. It's, I, I, it, it has one of my favorite lines. It's like, I, I had a dream the baby was kidnapped and the kidnappers were sending me muffins in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just remember laughing so hard. I, I just do a lot of downtime. I am a bubble bath kind of thinker so Mm -hmm. when I need to I skip to the bathtub or I lay down with the dogs and I've just spent a lot of time with the husband we did uh it was our 20th wedding anniversary this year so we did get a little bit of a getaway but it was like super sick we live in the south so um we're we're really paranoid (laughs) of going out of our house because we're fully vaccinated but we know that you know, we're in the minority. So we, um, 
went to an Airbnb at the beach on the Gulf, like and where oh. no one was during the week. <laughs> you know, we're like, don't, no, don't talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of your was... series is set in Mobile. Well, I I mm-hmm. think I saw, and that I don't I know one series specifically, and then I saw I think another series that might have mentioned it or something like that. But I was like, yeah. that part of the country is so gorgeous. Yeah, I um I love the Gulf Coast, and I um I think it's a an under that especially that stretch of um, Mississippi, Alabama, from Louisiana to Florida. Florida gets all the play. Yeah. Um, and um, but but Mississippi and Alabama have beautiful beaches, too. And it's really nice to go down there. And I part of the uh, Men of Mobile series was that I kind of wanted them to be like I made all the guys uh, science nerds because I like nerds. <laughs> and um, they're all kind of in their own way. Ego warriors trying to build back the Gulf Coast just gets battered time and yeah. time again. So they're all doing their own thing to build back the economy of that. And I really like that they were so involved in their community. So let's do some icebreaker questions. Okay. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? <laughs> okay. You, you sent me this one and I had to think about it because I couldn't, I was like, well, I don't, uh, um, friends on diet Coke. Um, but that's not really a warning. So I asked, I asked my friends and my husband and they gave me a few that they would. Okay. Want. Okay. Um, uh, one is prepare to swim with the snarks. Um, <laughs> the, the other is not always suitable for human consumption. Um, they know and, you the best. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and um, the other was um, I survived six older siblings and 12 years of Catholic schools. You can't scare me. <laughs> I love So that it. gives you a little insight. Into yeah. <laughs> other than runs on diet. Coke. <laughs> That's your personal one. And everybody's all <laughs> like, no, there's some more that you need to add to that list. Yeah. 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 It was funny to hear them say yeah (laughs) it's like tell me what you really think (laughs) that's not quite it well who is one of your most read authors oh that was a that's a hard one I have so many and I've been reading romance since I was way too young to read romance but um I'm gonna say Susan Elizabeth Phillips for the sheer number of books I've read her entire you know list um and the one of the authors that I go back to for comfort reads over and over again. She doesn't have nearly as many books, but uh, Sarah Addison Allen is one that I go to when I need comfort reads. I read uh, Karen Booth and I, I have been in each other's pockets for a long time. So I read all of her books when they come out. So Yay. I have a lot of authors that I read through, but my, my latest obsession is um, British kind of emo chiclet. Okay. <laughs> I don't okay. even know how to describe it. Um, and Mari McFarlane had uh, a new book out this year called Just Last Night, but she's had a number of books that I'm totally addicted to because they're very deep emotionally, but they're laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Yeah. Her cover. Um, I, I have the the newest one. It's like, yeah, they're in front of a car or something like that. Yeah. The, the yeah. cover's gorgeous and I'm just saving it because yeah, she's one of those You're authors that it. I'm like, let me save this for when I feel a little slumpy and I don't really know what I want to read. It's so good. What is one food you can't live without? Bread. <laughs> bread, bread, bread. Bread in any form. 
uh, bread of all varieties and all kinds. I'm, uh, yeah, I it would, I tried Atkins once back in the day and laughed because that, it's just not worth it. I love bread. What was your first job? <laughs> I uh, worked at the counter at a little fast food place called Mr. Quick Hamburgers in my hometown. It was literally across the street from my parents' house. Like I walked across the street to go to work every day. So I was slinging burgers and fries at Mr. Quick. Love it. I know your parents were like, well, there's no yeah. excuse for you being late. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I've had a, uh, I was funny to say that because, uh, uh, the other thing they, my friends teased me about is I've had a number of careers in my life. I was an optician. I sold insurance. I was an uh, association executive. I was a professional booze buyer, which made my mother really, really <laughs> proud for a number of years. I would order vodka by the truckload. Um, so, yeah, it's funny. And, and now I'm an office manager because I kind of downgraded the day job to give more focus to the writing. Okay. Um, and if you now had 25 hours in each day, what would you do with that extra hour? Sleep, 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 <laughs> sleep, 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 sleep. I'm an excellent sleeper. Uh, I would either sleep or read. That's it. Okay. Sleep or read. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on the day job, but I want to also let's, before we get there, let's talk about your romance origin story. So you mentioned that you started reading early. So how uh -huh. did that happen? How did you become a romance reader? I, I'm not exactly sure. I think uh, I've had a library card since I was six. And I, I remember vividly walking up to the Withers Public Library in Bloomington, Illinois with my brothers and getting my library card. Uh, I remember Encyclopedia Brown and moving into Sweet Valley High, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but the first romance romance, and um, I, I should grab it here, that I, I think I picked up a some romances at a yard sale somebody had and I'm gonna grab this real quick um in it it had the card for where you could subscribe for um a brand new series of romances that were coming out called silhouette romances and okay. in my of course I'm like 11 <laughs> <laughs> so I order these my parents had no clue the box comes and in it I get Irish Thoroughbred by Nora Roberts. Oh and my gosh. And if you look inside, you can see, and I wish you know, people could see this, but you have my, um, on the back of the book, my junior high handwriting where I've written Margaret on the back. So no one takes my book. This is, you can tell with the binding, the original one. And when I was at RWA in 2010 in Orlando, she was sweet enough to sign it for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Nora, Nora, you know, was nice. really in terms of uh, reading adult romance. That's where I got into it. And, and then I discovered Judith Krantz. <laughs> and Judith Krantz is nothing any 12 year old should be reading. But boy, I learned a lot. I didn't really understand it. And I don't, I didn't really understand until years later what it was I was learning. <laughs> but, okay that's a I name i a haven't heard before so what kind oh. of books did she write hold on um, <laughs> let me let me grab it off the shelf they're all on the keeper shelf <laughs> um 
And, and you're going to laugh when you see the binding on this book. Look at this. It gets reread all day. It's taped. Oh, my gosh. It's I love scruples. a taped cover. Yes. This, I, they, they made a mini series out of it, like they did with, like, Daniel Steele's and things like that. But it's that, like, oh, my goodness. If you go to your library and check out a copy of Scruples, you'll be like, oh, my God, a 12-year-old read this. I can't um, imagine. Oh, the glitz, the glamour. I loved that 80s, 90s romance uh, where it was all about uh, high fashion and high drama. I mean, it was dynasty on a page. It was uh, every nighttime soap opera on a page and it was sexy. Jackie Collins, all of those um, authors that wrote in that era, they wrote the sexiest stuff. And then, mm -hmm. of course, we kind of got a little bit puritanical again yeah <laughs> uh and, and dialed it back some but yeah that was my I was I was definitely reading things that were above my grade level yeah <laughs> and of course Judy Bloom forever and wifey and all those things where like where every woman that was born in 1968 learned all about all the sexy stuff from Judy Bloom and uh forever and I know Karen talked about that when you talked to her and, and what an impact. I remember uh, me and my two best friends were all reading for, you know, we went to Catholic school. So there were, you know, copies we had to acquire on the down low, but like having sleepovers and we'd all be reading our book and going, oh my goodness, did you read that? Oh my goodness, can you believe she said that? You know, it was just so scandalous to us. Yeah. So talk about writing. Have you always been passionate about writing? No. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, I am one of those few people. And of course, I, I, I kind of, um, I always feel bad answering this because uh, it seems like every author I know is like, I've been wanting to write a book since I was 10. And I wrote my first one when I was 12. I've been no, a I love because when we talked with Karen, she said she didn't write her first book until no. she turned 40. And yeah. I think there's a lot of I us out there that now are just like, well, I'm in my mid thirties and now I'm thinking mm -hmm. of writing a book or I'm in my early forties and now I'm thinking about it. So I, I think it's like so realistic. It's a story to tell until mm -hmm. then. Um, I, I felt like I, I didn't know myself or was well formed enough mm -hmm. to have anything to say. Um, I have always been a reader and I have a friend that we'd always made the joke that one day I was going to write romance novels, but I never really took it seriously. And then um, I went through a, uh, a time in my late 30s. I am a, a stepmom, a custodial stepmom, and mm -hmm. we went through a rough patch with my son with the tug of war between his birth mom and him living with us and that kind of thing where um, all of a sudden I went from being the one they loved to being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, so I hid out <laughs> for a lot of time watching Gilmore Girls and then writing Gilmore Girls fan fiction. So I came to writing through fan fiction and wrote millions of words of fan fiction before I ever considered writing anything original. And the way I came to write something original was one of my friends that I made through the fandom world said to me, okay, you've written enough of this. Now it's time to write something new that is yours. And so for her birthday, I want to say it was her 40th. I, I think it was her 40th birthday. I gave her what turned into the prologue of my book, Contentment, and just said, okay, there you go. I wrote something. She's like, okay, now go write the rest of it. 
And so that NaNoWriMo, I sat down and wrote most of the rest of that book, finished it, you know, in December or January. And then, of course, I did everything wrong in publishing. You know, I went shopping it and everybody was like, you can't have a 40-year-old heroine. You can't. This isn't a romance. This isn't, you know, I'm like, yes, it is. Because it was a can your this marriage be saved sort of story. And I thought, well, what could be romantic and more romantic than trying to save your marriage? So I was wrong. <laughs> we hear the fan fiction we we get that a lot, but we've never actually uh-huh. talked about it. So can you tell us how do you, is it, does it start with, I'm watching this show that I like and I want mm-hmm. to see what people are talking about? Yes. Like, how do you get into that world? And then how do you get inspired to, oh, well, I want to, like, I've never, I've never done that. So can you explain it to us and how you yeah. get into the writing of it? Because we know there are some big names that started with fan fiction and like what do you learn from that experience I think um yes it absolutely starts with a show you love and you usually end up shipping a couple (laughs) yeah and you're wanting it wanting it wanting it in my case it was Luke and Laura like please 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 make them kiss (laughs) um and uh I also wrote for the office so I did a lot of Jim and Pam fic too (laughs) and so yeah it was I think people write fanfics as because they are truly fans and they want to see what they want to see. And while it may not make great television, it makes great romance. And um, I wrote a story where one of the other characters said to Lorelai, can't you see how into you this guy is? How do you not say it? And it was early on in the series. It was like season two. And I thought, well, what if Luke just came out and said it? What if he just came out and said, I'm standing right here. Why, why won't you look at me? Why why are you always dating these other guys and you won't give me a chance? And so I did. I wrote the story. And this is just one of many that I wrote. But this was my longest running series. I mean, millions of words in the series because I wrote the story and then followed it, followed the show. But with just the twist of they got together and how could they be happy together, go through the ups and downs of a relationship while following how the show mm-hmm. sort of went and until it went off the rails. Um, <laughs> but uh, it went off the rails. So I think a lot of fan fiction is uh, wish fulfillment on the part of the fans. Yeah. We want to see the romance. Absolutely. We want to see the couple that we love have that happy moment. I wrote Jim and Pam getting together long before they <laughs> did on the show uh, in many, many different ways. And I loved to take things that were in the show and twist them a little bit. There's an episode of The Office where, I think it was the Secret Santa one, where Jim gives Pam a teapot because he knows she loves tea. And it's full of like a mixtape and little personal things that he knew she loved. And she was all after the iPod. And he was all upset because he put so much thought into this gift. (laughs) And uh, when she realized that he had, but the one thing he didn't give her was the card he'd written with it in the episode. So in the story, I had him give her the card. Yeah. Yeah. And what if she actually read the card where he confesses his feelings to her? So I think that's where fanfic kind of 
segues yeah. into romance and why so many romance writers come out of the fanfic world. But it's a huge deal. I have a friend of mine who actually there's an app you can download that allows you to read fan fiction. Like it is huge. You know, it's it's a rabbit hole. You can fall down big time. And so do you have access to all the stuff that you wrote? <laughs> yeah, it's still out there. Okay. <laughs> Please don't sue me. Um, <laughs> it's still out there. And, and the wonderful thing about it is that's where I found my community. That's where I found the people who support my writing. I still get fan mail on these stories that I wrote 10 years ago. Wow. I get more fan mail on those than on my books out here. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's there's a whole new generation that discovered Gilmore Girls because of Netflix and the reboot. So when they fell in love with it, this whole new generation of people, they went looking for the fan fiction. And mm-hmm. um, that one super long series that I wrote was one of the more popular mm-hmm. series at the time. So it gets a lot of wrecks in all the little fanfic circles. So they'd be like, oh, go read her series and start here and then they go back and read the rest of my series and and so I I, Mm -hmm. and that's gratifying to know that because I was just learning I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't even know where to put the dialogue tags or commas in the inside the quotation marks I mean it was the I just wanted to tell a, a different story than what we were getting on the screen yeah Well, that's what I wanted to ask next. Is it a space where you don't really have to take yourself too seriously? I mean, because you said you you weren't like a writer or anything beforehand, but you just really had all these thoughts on this show. So, I mean, is that something that people in that world care about? Or and like the more that you do it, you just kind of like hone the craft, like it gets better and better. Oh, absolutely. Okay. It gets better. Yeah. Because you become a better Mm -hmm. storyteller. And I think that one of the things that making the leap from fan fiction to publication, um, it makes things tricky because fan fiction, you're writing Mm -hmm. purely for the love of it. Yeah. And that's it. That's the only reason it's purely for the love of it. And when you start to write for publication, you start out writing for the love of it. Because you have a story that you love and you want to tell. Um, but then you start thinking, well, what do I need to write to get this published? What do I have to do to make it work? What do I have to do to make somebody want to buy it, edit it, uh, make a reader buy it, and pick it up off the shelf? And then there comes a point in writing for publication when you have to step back and say, no, I just want to tell a story. And whether it finds the readership or not, I can't control that. Uh, So it's a a very cyclical thing for me as someone who started out writing for the pure love of the story of this couple uh, to go into it and then obviously writing for publication is a business. And if you don't sell, you don't get another contract. Mm -hmm. And so that was a... (laughs) a big eye opener. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's a different, different animal into altogether and learning to blend that love back into writing for publication has been, um, a journey that I've been on for the last few years of trying to balance what I want to do with what I need to do with what they want with what I want. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because you're used to being in that space where it's like, I'm doing this because I love this. 
And the thing that people don't understand, especially the people who poo-poo it, uh, is if you get it wrong, the mob will come after you. If your voice is not on, if you don't nail those characters, if you don't know them inside out, if you don't know their backstory and history, it's like, a, you know, a historical romance readers get this a lot more, where if they don't get the facts right, the readers will come after them with pitchforks. And, and fanfic readers are the same way. If you don't have the voice right, or if you, I mean, if the worst thing you could see in a review is this was so out of character. Oh, well, you don't have that when you're writing original characters. They don't know those characters. Yeah, they don't yeah. know who, what their voices sound like and how what their mannerisms are. So you, I mean, literally have to have their mannerisms down and how they would hold their hands and how they would stand and what they would wear. I, yeah. I need to like, I'm so, I find this so fascinating. I want to like go out there and see what um, the I'll message you my, my screen name later. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I want to know, like, what is the popular fan fiction now? <laughs> That's what I, I Oh, um, Ted Lasso's huge. I can tell oh, you that yeah. because my crit partner is reading it and she's like, you had to read these stories. And I'm like, no, I can't go down the rabbit hole. I have to finish this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing. Leave me alone. Interesting. I want to find some sex in the city and, fanfic. Oh yeah, there's tons of it. Tons of it. <laughs> and the other the other part of that is is sometimes in when I'm in between books and I just need to find that joy again, I have one fic that I've left open. Uh wow. I call it a slip of the tongue. Okay. And I take <laughs> different episodes and make them dirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I've left it open because I have seven seasons to play with. Plus, I, I did just write the first one that I did for the reunion, although I didn't think that was really well done. But uh, there were aspects of it that I wanted to play with uh, where I, I let my friends pick an episode or two and we spitball some ideas and I stick it in the back of my mind. And when I need a refresher of writing for the joy of writing, I go write one of those because they're just one shot chapters that just get added into a bigger story and uh people will be like oh my god she's bad mm -hmm. and i'm like no no i got a book to read uh, to write but i i just wanted to drop this in here <laughs> but yeah I, I i won't ever leave it i feel like that's the romance novel that i'm just waiting to have in my hands like the yeah. heroine is like this super popular but low-key nobody knows who she is like fan fiction writer mm -hmm. <laughs> i might be working on that okay well <laughs> But there are tens are of fan, there are fan fiction uh, books out there. Mm -hmm. Olivia Dade has one. Uh, spoiler alert! I think it is. Uh, I might have yeah. the title the title one, but she's writing fanfic and she meets the guy she ships, and <laughs> it's a great book. Great book. Let me pimp everybody else's book for them. <laughs> yeah, spoiler mm -hmm. alert was great fun for me as a fanfic writer to read because I would be like oh my god yeah <laughs> of course my thing is that I never want to meet actors in person and this is just me I don't want to meet famous people because yeah. I don't want to be disappointed yeah when they're human and I know they're human but okay. I'm human and like I said one of my warning labels was not always safe for human consumption and I know that I am not always safe for human consumption. Therefore, mm -hmm. I should not expect them to be. And so I don't want them to disappoint me. Don't ruin my illusions. Yeah. Just let me live in my head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like living in my head. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, can you talk about your experience in publishing independently? Most of my books are tra- started as traditionally published. I, I went from small press to digital first imprints. Uh, and then my first indie publishing experiences came when I had rights reversions. One of the first presses that I was uh, attached to was Turquoise Morning Press, which was a small press that eventually shut, they shut down in 2015. And you hear horror stories about presses shutting down. And I love to say that they did it the way everybody ought to. She was beautiful and gracious and just let us know that she could not continue it and reverted all of our rights immediately and gifted us with the cover art. If we wanted to republish immediately, we could have gone in the next day and republished immediately using that cover So can art. I ask a quick question? Can I ask uh-huh. something? Okay. So first off, take us back to like this time period. How do you find these how do you know about these small presses? Well, they're gone now. Because I mean, we're seeing say- a lot. Like when we were looking through, your, I was like, I've never heard of this one before. No. I just imagine you know yeah. of like, you know of Harlequin, you know of like Berkeley, sure. you know of Grand Central. But some of these smaller ones, like how do you as an author, how do uh, y'all's paths cross? We, um, it was the beginning. It was two back in the day. It was 2009, <laughs> 2010. Twitter was just launching. Amazon had not yet created KU. Self-publishing was still stigmatized in a lot of romance communities. So small presses, when Kindle made it easy to publish, small presses came around when a lot of people who said, well, I have the um, technical bandwidth to deal with formatting these books and covering them and all these things that indie authors who were early adopters were doing. And so a lot of small presses came out of indie authors who wanted to become publishers, basically. So that's what um, Turquoise Morning was. There were a lot of them, but that was just the one that I landed with. Lazy Day Press was another one. Um, I think the Wild Rose Press is still going. I've seen um, that one. Yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. Seen that one. Uh, but they're all um, small press. And then you have your medium press publishers that are things like uh, Kensington and Sourcebooks. They're um, good size. They do print runs and things like that. But they're not Penguin Random House and they're not Macmillan and they're not uh, HarperCollins with the Look, power of those. I got to say, Kensington is my go-to for cozy mysteries. <laughs> Yeah, they they've really and that's where they really switched their focus because they really want uh, they really nailed that market and they did well with it. I have great friends that write for them and uh, write cozies for them. And I think that they've really enjoyed um, that publishing experience. So um, the small press thing was really a creature of the early 10s. Okay. <laughs> on um, and really only lasted until 14 or 15 when the bottom fell out of the ebook industry for a little bit and in that time all of the big five publishers were playing catch-up they karina was launched with as part of harlequin uh harlequin even launched a harlequin e line which i have a book you sold a book harlequin e. yeah yeah uh and um because I, like, I was like, this isn't her first Harlequin, technically. She no, wrote an ebook no. in like 2014. Technically, <laughs> technically, the book I have, come, yeah, the third book in this series is uh, my 10th. 
yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but all, yeah, yeah, even though it's not, they weren't all category, you know, series romance. Um, but yeah, the, so then they, some of them bought the small presses that were doing well, like Kensington bought Lyrical Press, which was doing well. Um, and then some of them created their own or some of them resurrected imprint names. I think Love Swept was a resurrected name and I might be wrong about that, but they picked up Love Swept. I think it was Penguin Random House that picked up Love Swept and wrong about that too. I'm not the authority on this because, you know, everyone's buying and selling and moving around and it's like watching a checkers game. Um, but in that era, small presses were everywhere. Yeah. Um, and digital first was everywhere because why wouldn't people do this? It cost so little to do the formatting and the cover art once and put it out there. They didn't have to reprint anything. They didn't have to pay advances. So all you got was a larger cut of the royalties, which sounded good when things were booming. <laughs> was not good when things went downhill. So uh, it was definitely a, a roller coaster in the publishing world. Although a lot of the small presses folded, but we found them on Twitter because they were early adopters of social media as well, they, because they were tech savvy. So we found them on Twitter. We found them on Facebook. We found them, you know, talking to friends and friends. Hey, did you hear that so-and-so's uh, accepting submissions? And we're like, no, never heard of it. Let me go look at them. And you go and you like to see if they're legitimate. You like to, you go to, there's a, a site that's called the water cooler where you go to see if people are having problems with publishers uh, and or publishers are problematic in paying people and that kind of thing. So you go looking for problems, sort of like you do for an agent. When you're looking for an agent, you go looking around. I mean, I Twitter stalked my agent for years before I submitted to my agent because I was able to do this digital first publishing on my own. I didn't need an agent for that. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and did a lot of it, but at the time I wanted to change. I wanted to get into bookstores. I wanted the distribution that you don't get with digital first. I wanted the print distribution. So to do that, you do still need to go through those traditional channels. At least at that time, you had to. That's changing too right now. So it's all an evolution. And uh, we're constantly, as authors, pivoting trying to figure out where it's going next. It literally is throwing spaghetti. <laughs> For the small press, like what's the difference between you deciding to publish with a small press as opposed to publishing yourself? Uh, I had an editor. I had cover art. I had uh, uh, marketing, which was actually more than I get now. <laughs> Yeah, in that in that day, um, and so yeah, they they provided a lot of that back office work for those of us who were skittish about doing it ourselves. And I fully admit that I was. I didn't know uh, where to go for editing. I didn't know. Uh, I am not at all a visual artist, and so cover art to me is a challenge. Uh, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at at setting aside my personal tastes and looking to see what the market is selling because that's a big pitfall that authors fall into when they do first indie publish they want the book to look the way they think it ought to look not necessarily the way readers 
want it to look. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are, are, they had all of the perks of a big publisher without, with more input from a writer. Like I was friends with my publisher. I could say to her, you know, I really don't like that cover. Or, (laughs) you know, I I only had one horrible cover experience with a small crush publisher where they just said, no, you're stuck with it. And the minute my rights, the contract was up on that book, you can bet I yanked it back (laughs) and said, you didn't treat this book correctly. Wow. Um, Okay. And I hide that cover from the world every chance (laughs) I get. One thing that we haven't actually asked about, because there are like with Harlequin, you can submit without an agent. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've, I've learned through doing the podcast that agents are very, very helpful at the same time. So, but we've never asked the question of like, when you're seeking an agent, Mm -hmm. what's that look like? What does that process look like? I think it's different for everybody. I know um, friends that, that had offers on the table and then went and said to an agent, Hey, I have this offer. Would, would you be interested in being my agent? And then they've worked together from then on. I have friends that have gone through a number of agents that have not been a good fit for them. When I was looking for, when I decided to go looking for an agent was I wanted somebody who was going to be my publishing partner for the future. So not to just buy that book that I was trying to pitch to them, but uh, to want a long-term investment Mm -hmm. in my writing career. So the book that I wrote, and I wrote it specifically geared towards uh, writing to a mass market so that I could take it out shopping for an agent. And I had stalked a number of agents online. I've read interviews with them. I listened to their podcasts and uh, um I followed their tweets. I knew who I wanted to work with and who I didn't, who I thought would be a good mesh with me in terms of personality, because you have to have somebody who has the same goal Mm -hmm. as you working with you, I think, for it to work long term. And I've been very, very lucky that the number one agent on my list was Sarah Megabo. Okay. And when I submitted the book, I submitted to her ended up being Love Game, which, um, at that time was called full court press. It was a basketball coach romance. I'm like, is this the scores books series? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, And uh, she got back to me within a week and said, I want the full. And then a week later, she's like, I want this book. And I had it when I'd sent it to her, I sent it to my other two and my top three, just to kind of go fishing to see if I was hitting the right notes. And so I had to give them, you know, ask them, are you seriously reading this? I have an offer on the table, that kind of thing. But I knew that I was going to go with Sarah regardless. But um, yeah, and and she's ended up being a, a, a great partner with me. We talk a lot about the direction things are going in and um, what we see the industry doing. She is you know, totally clear-eyed and steely-eyed on what she sees coming down the pike and um, what she sees me doing. She knows my voice. As a matter of fact, just last week, I pitched her a story idea that I thought was just cute and brilliant and was going to be this hit, nice rom-com kind of thing. And she came back and said, that is not a Maggie Wells book. Wow. This is not, you know, you don't write 
fresh 20 year olds, you know, did this is not, yeah, she's like, I, I love the, the general premise, but you're, you're striving for a voice that is not yours. It's not you. And I want you to write the voice that's yours. Oh, that is tough. But it's also like, I feel like yeah. you got my back. <laughs> you got my back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have some very, um, you know, crucial conversations. Yeah. Where we have to be really super honest with each other. This is what I want. And this is what I can do. Because the the nice thing about Sarah is, is that she has, uh, she's a very positive person. And I know she has confidence in my abilities, even when I don't. The intrigue thing was a leap for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'd always written contemporary romance, but I love romantic suspense and thrillers to read them. I just never thought I could write one. And she's like, give it a try. I think you can do this. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's how that kind of came about. Um, and it still scares me. And I think it's good to do things that scare you yeah. because that makes you put more effort into it because even though people think series romance is a box to fit in, which it is in a way, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. To it's make a difficult a writer, box. <laughs> yeah. To, to, to have a writer say, I want you to hit these marks. Mm-hmm. And, and um, we are a rebellious <laughs> yeah. little merry band. And, and it is difficult to do. And, um, it's been a huge learning curve for me, especially with the intrigues, because with the intrigues, crime comes first, mm-hmm. the crime and solving the crime comes first. And so like my first two books, uh, almost all of my editorial notes were like, dial back the romance, take out this kissing. We want this later. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> take- yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, even had seen, like review, I had a review that said, well, there was no romance. And so the, I'm like, they made me take it out. <laughs> <laughs> the it the comes suspense later, comes first. It's the suspense, suspense first. Comes first. <laughs> the crime comes first with, with intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. So another point that you made that you kind of touched on that I wanted to ask you, since you talked about a little bit about marketing from that point when you kind of first started to now, it sounds like a lot of the marketing is more on you as the author. Can you talk about how that's changed and like how you've had, I see a lot of authors, it feels like authors, you guys really have to have like this strong social media presence, which I mean, as a blogger can be exhausting. And I can only imagine for you actually (laughs) writing the books can be exhausting. So can you talk about that a little bit? There's um, a lot that goes into it, but I I would say, yeah, there's less support than there was when I started, but there wasn't always a ton of it. Unless you are a James Patterson, a Nora Roberts, or somebody whose book is, you know, slated to be uh, the hot debut of the year, you're not getting that marketing from your publisher. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you might, you'll get some, I mean, obviously they'll send your book out for reviews and they'll send, you know, they'll do some stuff on their social media and, uh, they might set up some fun video chats and things like that for you, but no authors do the marketing on their own. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're traditional or indie published, we're out here, um, just trying to figure out how to get our message out. As for social media, 
I am not convinced that it's the best marketing tool for books. Okay. I know book talk is huge right now. I am queen introvert and to get me on video takes a lot of psyching up. <laughs> and my critique partner is uh, Julie, Julie Evelyn Joyce. She's, I mean, she is out there. She's great fun. I mean, this is the girl you want at your party. <laughs> and she loves TikTok in all forms and loves making videos mm-hmm. and loves doing that. And then it's right in her ballywick. And so I'm like, hey, you want to make a video for me? Because I would, you know, I could do book unboxings, but that's as far. It has to be genuine for me. Yeah. It has to be, and that is not genuinely me. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what I struggle with too. I'm like, I just, I love the fun stuff, but I'm like, I'm not that person. I just can't do it. (laughs) No. I mean, if the box of books comes in, I can open it up and show you how excited I am to show you my covers. That's genuine because it is thrilling. It's thrilling to walk into Walmart and see your book on a shelf. I I love that you post photos of you like at the store and you'll see 40 books in 40 books in. I'm going, yeah, look at that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, um, when the first of these intrigues came out, I, (laughs) we live in Arkansas. It was about to get really hot. My husband's like, I have to mow the lawn. It's going to be 105 degrees for the next. This was on my release day. And I said, well, do you mind if I get my friend, and go down to Walmart. So I call my friend Kelly and I say, you want to go on a mission? She's like, yeah. And so we went down to Walmart and we're like, and, and we found it on the shelves and she snaps pictures of me. I take my mask off. We snap a couple of pictures. I'm like, well, now I've touched it. I need to buy it. And so, so I go up to the self-checkout and I'm buying my own book. And the lady who's working there is just kind of, you know, standing there. I'm like, hey, do you read romance novels? She's like, no, but my cousin does all the time. I said, well, do you think she'd like this one? And she just kind of looked at me like, what's your deal? And and Kelly's like, she wrote it. This is her book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then she was like, oh, yeah, she'll take it. I'm like, well, hang on. What's her name? And I wrote her name. And I signed it. And just I was like, here, give it to your cousin. I hope she enjoys it. Because I was like, here in the age of coronavirus, I I touch this book, you know, we wipe it off and then give it to your cousin. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, it is fun. It's fun. When I, the first time when Love Game came out in 2018, that was my first Barnes & Noble book yeah and uh so it was 10 o'clock on a tuesday morning my husband and i walk into barnes and noble and there's my book and i just burst into tears i was 35 books in i remember buying the three i know i know i bought the first two together and then Mm -hmm. i can't remember how i can't i got the third one but i eventually got the third one and it was when i i was like very new to romance and i just remember that being one of the first because like I would watch before I found Sarah on YouTube. Like I, I followed a couple mm-hmm. of romance readers, but they, now that I mm-hmm. read romance, I know they were talking about mostly indie stuff. Cause I would go to Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't, I can't find any of these books Why that they're I, talking yeah. about. But I remember like your first two books in that series were hey. the, like one of the first books that I went to Barnes and Noble and bought. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're one of the few people who did. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, she already had like 35 books before that. That's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> but you know, in this industry, the fun thing is there's always a first. Mm-hmm. Like Love Game was my first uh, starred review. 
from a review from Publishers Weekly gave it a star review. It was my first mass market release. So it was the first time I got to walk into Barnes and Noble and see it on the shelf. And of course, uh, the heart in, intrigues are my first time being in Walmart or grocery store. I mean, my brother sent me pictures of, from Illinois going, you're a Meyer. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm all over the place. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I hope, it, you know, when it, I, I hope there are never not, uh, first because you know sarah and i joke about my you know when we talk about goal setting and what i want my career to be and there i remember early on i was like i want to be in airports which uh, yeah if you know anything about publishing if you think of how hard it is to get a book into barnes and noble or into walmart imagine being in that teeny tiny airport bookstore Mm -hmm. yeah and so that's i mean that's a huge lofty goal i want to be an airport book is a you know the odds of it Slim and dumb, but I'm willing to go up against yeah. that. <laughs> and uh, we laugh about it all the time because we're like, our goal is actually world domination. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and so, you know, she's like, we're, so when she signs the email, she'll be like, world domination onward. <laughs> you know, we'll find a way. It's one going way to happen. Another. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, writing the fan fiction and you hadn't really thought of writing before. So when did you realize you wanted to write professionally? And, you know, we talked about, you know, you, you also, you have your day job. How do you juggle Mm -hmm. writing and working? You know, there are very few things that even this many and this long into this career, we were just talking about that. I don't consider myself an expert in anything. And I'm always kind of amazed when I, I go to a workshop mm-hmm. or something and I realize that the person who's teaching it is either started after me or at the same time as me. I'm like, wait a minute, huh? You don't know any more about this than I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the one thing that I do teach a workshop mm-hmm. on, it's called uh, even Superman had a day job. Okay. Um, because I hate, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I will use the word hate. I hate the pressure authors feel to be full-time authors Mm -hmm. and by full-time authors, I mean, make a living from their writing. Right. Um, Because first of all, most authors make well below poverty level money on their books. Second of all, most authors who do have the luxury Mm -hmm. of staying home and writing for their day job have a spouse who's providing medical insurance, health insurance, (laughs) and a steady paycheck. I'm not saying all, but a lot of them do. Mm -hmm. There's a safety net there. Um, So, of course, like everybody else, for the first few years of my writing Mm -hmm. career, I thought, oh, if only I can quit, I would make enough money to quit my day job, and I'd Mm -hmm. write all the time, and it's all I'd do, and I'd be cranking out books like crazy, because I'm a pretty fast writer, and I can do this. And then uh, my husband is (laughs) self-employed. He runs his own business. So I am the health insurance. So when I said earlier, I downgraded my day job. I was working in corporate America. I was climbing that ladder and getting more and more disillusioned as I climbed it. Because we all know that it's a fallacy. (laughs) And, um, And so I thought, well, why am I wasting my time here? I purposely took a job that is uh, purely administrative and that I don't have to think about when I go home, uh, that Mm -hmm. when I leave work, I leave work at work and come home and write my books. And I do consider myself a full-time author, 
even though I'm not writing eight hours a day. And I came to that discovery uh, when I got laid off from a job and realized I can't write eight hours a day. If I have two hours of good writing in me, Mm -hmm. uh, then Mm -hmm. that's the two hours I got. And the book will still get written. Yeah. And still be written (laughs) in a pretty timely basis. So I, I don't like when people are like, oh, if I could just quit my day job, I could be so much more productive because I discovered that I cannot work. Uh, we were on Cobra for health insurance and I was mm-hmm. looking for another job in my, yeah, at 50 years old and overqualified for the jobs I wanted. So no one would even interview me. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't want that job. I want, I want to answer your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, it was a really different thing for me to an eye opener where I said, you know what? I can't, I wrote fewer words in that, eight months of being unemployed than I did yeah. in the six months since I got another job. And it's, I can't write in um, a world that is not secure. And I think that we as writers downplay the insecurity that comes with living, not just writing, any kind of creative life. Yeah, uh, the ACA allows mm-hmm. us to buy our own insurance, but we still have to make enough money to pay for it. Yeah, and uh, and and that is a huge step. I'm not saying that the ACA wasn't a huge step. It's super important for writers and other creatives and people who are self-employed to be able to buy their own insurance. But when you're a dual-income family, and suddenly you know you're counting on the money to come from writing, people don't understand how slow the money comes. Mm-hmm. And I like to give mm-hmm. them the example of Love Game. I wrote Love Game in 2014. I shopped it to agents in 2015 and Sarah signed me in 2015. She shopped it to publishers and we sold it to Sourcebooks in 2016. Oh my Holy gosh. Cow. Two years after you it wrote came, it. <laughs> it came out mm-hmm. in 2018. Four years after you wrote it. <laughs> I got paid, you know, half of my advance on signing in 2016. I got paid the other half of that advance on release in 2018. Okay. And then I didn't see royalties again until 2020. Mm-hmm. And then it was like $13. So, <laughs> so think about that. That's a, a six-year time span. Yeah. And I'm not going to say how much I made, but I'm going to say that it was not five figures. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's uh, the money do, does not flow with on a regular basis. Every publisher has a different payment structure. Every publisher, I mean, even yeah. indie publishing, uh, Amazon pays monthly, but, you know, others pay quarterly mm-hmm. and uh, they have to wait for Barnes and Noble to report sales back to them. And they have to, uh, it's just, everybody's on a different schedule. So Imagine the pressure of mm-hmm. trying to pay your bills. There's no way. Just your There's... light and power bill. And even if you're making really good money as an author, um, you can't be sure that next month you're still going to be making really good money because when Amazon changes the algorithm, everything changes again. Yeah. And we all scramble to try to figure out how to get back to where we need to be. So I never want my writing to have to support my lifestyle. 
Well, that's one thing and that I'm, I've heard. And I don't, I don't know if you can speak to this because you've, you've, you told us before we started recording, like you had one true self-published book. Everything else was like traditionally published first. But yeah. can you talk a little bit about the Amazon algorithm yeah. as an author? Because one thing that I've heard <laughs> is that for specifically authors that do Kindle Unlimited, it's like uh-huh. every 90 days. And this is why I'm like, this makes so much sense. The, K- the KU authors that I love are constantly putting something out. And the author that I heard speak about it said that like every 90 days algorithm changes. And if you aren't mm-hmm. putting something out, you're like buried, like you're at the bottom. Yeah. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about the, the algorithm yeah, world? I'm not, yeah, I'm not really an expert in that because I, I do have so few indie titles that I have not studied it as much as other hybrid authors have. Now, I do have um, the source books, books, Love Game and Double Play were the only two that were contracted. So I did have a third book in that series that I indie published. So that was the first time I indie published and that was part of that series. And then To Make You Feel My Love was the first book that I straight up indie planned to indie publish from the beginning. What made you want and, to do that one, Indie? Well, um, I, yeah, I, I gave it to Sarah to read and, and, and she did shop it to some editors, but we knew it wasn't going to hit what the market Mark okay. was looking for. It's a multi-generational mm-hmm. romance, kind of a bigger glitzier, uh, I like to call it Nashville meets a star is born, but with a happy ending. Okay. Because <laughs> Star Wars didn't have a happy ending. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but um, and so it was a different thing from what the market was in. But it kind of goes back to when we talked about Judith Prance and these big glitzy, mm-hmm. multi generational books that I grew up reading. I wanted to write something like that. So it was more about what I wanted to write and put out there. Um, and so that I knew I was going to end up going indie on, even though I gave her the fair shot to shop it because that's our agreement as to the algorithm. I think that's a mystery that's beyond even Hmm. the people at Amazon. (laughs) The people that work there. Yeah. That sounds right. (laughs) No, and I don't mean that. Yeah. I, because it's taken on a life of its own now it's the ai you know it's Mm -hmm. it's hell in space odyssey 2001 it's you know it's taken over its own you know system Mm -hmm. so even the people who wrote the original algorithm probably couldn't track it down i'm just saying i'm not a technical person but i'm betting it's beyond what they can get hold of you have an absence of motive which is book one that is in the mm-hmm. stores. It's Raising the Bar Briefs, book one, Harlequin Entry. Right. And oh my gosh, I just, I realized the other day, it's out for the defense comes out in September mm-hmm. and Trial in the Backwoods comes out in October. So can you take us yeah. to how did this series come to be? How are we getting them back to back? And then uh, like 2023, you have another intrigue series coming yeah. so yeah yes I mean. yeah and and I have a book in 2022 that's part of a continuity so this particular series with an absence of for the defense and um trial in the backwoods when Sarah and I were first talking about making a pivot to romantic suspense um I am not comfortable with writing women in peril stories I I, I like to say feminism is my second favorite f-word and I don't like 
the savior mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I like to write powerful, empowered women. And so, um, and if you've read Love Game, you know that I like to write the ones that can definitely kick the guy's butt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, mm-hmm. I wanted to write something that I thought I, I could do in an honest way for me as a writer. And that was to pitch it as a legal thriller. And whereas I could, which was something that by happenstance, Intrigue was thinking about doing anyway, because uh, we were in 2020, the pandemic had just started. We could see that nobody was going to want to read really dark stuff. It's going to be a hard thing, which intrigue is a grittier line. Yeah. Um, So you have to write crime. And so what kind of crime are you going to write that is going to be real and resonate with people, but not necessarily be for me, women in peril, where I'm just, I've been kidnapped and you have to come and save me. And not to say that doesn't happen, but you know. Mm -hmm. So an absence of motive came out of actually a true story that somebody told me about a small town uh, and what she believed happened to a boy she knew she grew up with. And I don't want to spoil it by saying what it was because it is what happens in the book. But it was a nobody would believe this happened Mm -hmm. because it was done in such a way Mm -hmm. that uh, everybody was in on the cover up or nobody wanted to know the truth. Oh, wow. And so an absence of motive has uh, a woman coming back to her small hometown, kind of called home by the family. She's the attorney, kind of called home by her powerful father, who pretty much runs the town. It's in Masters County. She is a master. Mm. She's coming back to fulfill her destiny because her brother has committed suicide and she's the only one left. Okay. Um, And so there's a new sheriff in town because there's been all this previous, I don't know if, you know, People in New York don't think anything happens in rural America. And it like happens probably more than in the big cities. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, you go to small towns in Arkansas and there's these massive meth busts and these massive drug trafficking things. So I thought, well, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can focus on that kind of aspect because I know this happens throughout the South, Mm -hmm. that it's, it's all coming up through the South. It doesn't just fly into Chicago or fly into New York. You know, it's coming up through the South. And uh, and there are these pipelines, these backwoods pipelines that are big business. And so that's what this series is all about. So that was kind of fun for me to write because I got to write the legal aspect of it. Not that I'm a lawyer, um, but, but I'm related to lawyers. I <laughs> love and, that. And, I love it. And, um, and I got to write it in a Harlequin-esque type way which was a lot of fun for me where the heroine gets to team up with the hero and say no you you know he she convinces him to believe her yeah yeah and something's wrong with these somebody needs to look deeper into this something more is happening here and he's new so he's got no skin in the game He's like, all right, I'll look at it. And then starting to, you know, you start kicking over logs and seeing what crawls out from underneath it. I love a new sheriff in town. I love a new sheriff. Oh, yeah. He is the (laughs) new sheriff in town. And he's a hottie. (laughs) See, I tend to have like this thing with small town, like I gripe with Sarah about all the time. But I think in like intrigue and romantic suspense, I do love it because growing up, 
I lived in a small town and I, like you said, like mm-hmm. that my town and the towns outside of us, drugs in the Midwest are a big thing. It's, and it's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, the things yeah. that happen to people are dangerous. So I think the setting is like yeah. perfect. Yeah, I grew up in central Illinois, right in between um, St. Louis and Chicago, right up I-55, which is a major north-south pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so the crime that would happen in my hometown was usually drug-related because it would be people coming through that pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was was interesting to, you know, to hear that people don't think that this happens because. (laughs) Oh, it'll happen and people will never know. Let me introduce you to some neighbors. Yes. (laughs) People will disappear in those back, off those back roads and you'll never know about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, that was fun for me. Um, The back-to-back releases. Mm -hmm. Um, because this was kind of a new thing for them, the legal thriller aspect, they wanted to carry it through as a series really rapidly. Um, and hopefully it does well for them because I'd like to write more legal th- yes. thrillers. I like legal thrillers. I like Lisa Scudellini and all those, you know, awesome. I just totally mangled her name. Scudellini, Scudellini, Scudellini. Oh, sorry, Lisa. You're fabulous. I love you. Uh, but I love legal thrillers and I like to read those things. So um, I hope, hopefully that's well, hopefully they like it and hopefully they'll want more. What I have coming next June is one of those multi-author continuities. When we talked about writing fan fiction, when they asked me if I wanted to write in a world that they were going to build, I said, yes, please. <laughs> uh, and they literally sent me a story Bible and said, here's your hero and we want your heroine to be this you know kind of lady uh, but you can pick who you want for inspiration and description and build their worlds and backstories and they gave me a general backstory mm-hmm. for the story and I knew what the crime was mm-hmm. going to be and I knew how it was going to fit in with the others and what had to tie in with the books before and after yeah and yeah. we know the whole cast of characters so it's a lot of fun and I'm just wrapping that up uh, this weekend. I'm, I'm going through my edits on it before I send it to my critique partner. Um, but this is, again, comes back to timeline. Uh, you know, I'm writing this book this summer. I'm giving it to my critique partner it's due to my editor in the fall. And it'll be out next mm-hmm. June. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it's not at all like indie publishing where I can mm-hmm. throw it up there tomorrow if I feel like it. Well, we know the next one is like way out there, but is there anything you can share about it? It's, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, it's a murder mystery. I can tell you that. Okay. And I, in this one, I set in a small Southern city. I live in outside of Little Rock and I wanted to write one that was not small town, but not big city. These middling cities like Little Rock, like Memphis, oh, like, yeah. they have this whole other world that I don't think people understand. There's a society here. There's the old money. There's the new, the money. new money. Yeah. Then there's poverty like you don't even. Ridiculous. Believe. Yeah. I went Ridiculous to high school in poverty. Memphis. It is Memphis oh, and Little yeah. Rock are. They're very so they're like very southern and not southern and the money is exactly. just different and like we'll be in like old money world and then around the corner yep. you're in like a really poor neighborhood and it's just exactly but they're these very famous cities at the same time it's so weird yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm gonna I, I I'll have a fictional city that will be somewhere in the south <laughs> 
that will very much have the society and it's um, a murder mystery around, uh, surrounding the the murder of the queen bee of this the small city society and all the powers and all the multiple it, it, it's very much kind of like a uh, a knives out where they're not all stuck in the same room, but, but, but lots of, lots of suspects that will carry through the series. Okay. Oh, okay. So we're going to, f- through the series, eventually we'll figure out who, the who yeah, there will it. be crimes within the crime within the crime. Okay. <laughs> like, like, like Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And are they going to be released back to back to back? Like this one is. I have no idea yet. Um, uh, I, 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 um, from an author standpoint, there's um, advantages and disadvantages yes. to this promoting it and and doing this whole thing. The other part of it is, I just literally mm-hmm. before I came on here sent a newsletter and wrote a blog saying, "Oh my God, tomorrow's the last day you can grab an absence of motive in the bookstores." Yeah. Um, because the, they will take them off the shelves and put the new one up and people don't realize that with series romance, they're not just on the shelves in perpetuity, like Mm -hmm. other, well, not in perpetuity, but for six months or eight months or whatever it is, um, series romance, they come down and the next one goes up. And so, um, it it was mostly a message to my, my own family (laughs) and say, Hey, you know, yeah. Not, not like I didn't send them a copy. I did. Yeah. But if you're gonna, but my deal is, is like when I send someone I know a free copy of the book, I say, please, will you consider going and buying a copy and either donating it to a women's shelter or to a hospital or to someplace where yeah, someone in the yeah. reading room, can, a waiting room, can pick it up and read it? Because um, you know we are authors and we're trying to continue to be authors and I only get to continue to be an author if you buy my book yeah, yeah. if you stop buying my book nobody's gonna publish them yeah <laughs> and I have to explain this to my siblings yeah. I'm like I can I know it's five dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> but I need you to just, just you know, do it. this and just yeah. hand it to someone hand it to the lady at the self-checkout <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll get, I'll get it. I know Bree's probably in the same boat, but we'll get like e-art copies to, to read and review. And if I like it, which is most of the time, I will go and buy a copy just to have, because we want to support, you know? <laughs> because you guys understand the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, 98% of the population okay. does not. And so like, I have so many people I know well, who are like, are you a rich author yet? I'm like, do you mm-hmm. see me here at work? Yeah. I'm <laughs> If I were a rich author, I would be on my yacht writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do some set the scene. Early okay. bird or night owl? What time of day do you feel most productive oh. with writing? Oh, with writing? Absolutely in the morning. Um, and, and that's bad because I write, I, I work a job from 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Okay. Uh, so I do most of my writing in the evening but it's not my natural time so on weekends my critique partner and i like to have little mini like she's in canada and so we have um we have like mini writing retreats where we get on gchat we're like ready set go (laughs) then we start typing and um Mm -hmm. and we go at it for you know 30 minutes or an hour and then we take a break and get up and stretch and then we come back to it uh but yeah definitely morning 
Are you a plotter or a pantser? I am an intuitive writer, otherwise known as a pantser. <laughs> and I try to plot. I love to plot. Now, naturally, when you're writing for Harlequin or something like this or writing for a series, you do have to give them a proposal and an outline. So I have an outline um, for these books, and I do know the value of an outline and know that an outline can get me to the finish line. Mm -hmm. But in my happy place, I'm just writing by the seat of my pants. So if it's a project you've already been working on, like you're already in the middle of it, do you reread mm -hmm. the previous day's work to kind of refresh yourself or do you just jump right in? No, I'm a shark. I am straight ahead to the end. And I usually, I, I shouldn't say to the end. I'm a, um, I'm one of those who, because I do so much in, you know, intuitive writing, uh, even if I have an outline, um, I will usually get to about the two thirds mark and go, mm -hmm. okay, I get it now. I know who these people are. I know what they want. Cause sometimes I have to write my way to it. So at that end point, I will go back and start at the beginning and clip the loose threads. And usually it's just tweaking. It's just tweaking to say, no, this is important, more important than I gave it. It has more gravity here. And so I have to up some things and tone some things down. And then I can plow through to the end. Okay. Um, are there any necessities you need around you while writing? Diet Coke. <laughs> I um, vanilla Coke girl here all the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I run almost entirely on Diet Coke, and I know it's bad for me, but it's the last vice I have, and it's the last thing I'm. <laughs> the last vice I have. Yes, <laughs> I hate my mom. The like people will judge me, and I'm like, just let me have this, please. Like, <laughs> yeah, let me have this. I, I'm, I, yeah, I don't smoke. I barely drink anymore. I, you know, it's just, yeah, everything is, it, you know, mm -hmm. you hit your fifties and you realize you can't do all the things <laughs> that you want to do. This is the last thing I have in my life. Let me be happy. <laughs> I can't even eat Cheez-Its because they go straight to my hips and I love them more than life. I think we touched on this a little bit, but I want to ask again. So do you set daily writing goals? And if mm -hmm. you have figured out kind yeah. of what yours is for anybody that's an aspiring sure. author, what advice would you give to them for figuring out what their mm -hmm. goals should be for the day? My daily writing goal is to get some words on the page. I used to be the, uh, and I, and I will, I am admittedly a fast writer. So, I mean, a thousand words in an hour isn't hard for me. But there are days when I'm coming home from work and the day job has just been so much that I don't have the energy. So if I can get, I always tell that makes uh, sense. people that the best, if you want to start a productivity kind of regimen, a hundred words, a hundred words, if I can get a hundred words, that's kind of my mm -hmm. minimum. Because if I can write a hundred words, that's less than a paragraph. I'm going to finish the paragraph nine times out of 10. I'm probably going to finish the page. I'm probably going to write about a thousand words. But if I tell myself it's okay to okay. stop after a hundred, then I don't feel the pressure of it. And that started from an old challenge that I came across early in my writing days where you would try to write a hundred words a day for a hundred days. Ooh. And so I just kind of kept that up. If I, if I get something, if I open my manuscript and I don't always consider words on the page writing, if I get something like even make notes about what I want to do. I consider that writing. If I go in and say, then this character says this and this character says this and tie it back to that. And I make a note in my mm -hmm. manuscript. 
about that, that I consider writing or I am a big mm -hmm. vo uh, voice memo person. I will literally be in the bathtub and pick up my phone and go, okay, so she needs, and my husband's used to hearing me talk to myself all the time. Yeah. And, and I will literally it's say, fine. I'm going to talk to myself for a while. But I just don't pay attention to anything. Um, I'll go upstairs and shut the door, uh, but I'll literally be in the bathtub is where my uh, idea, you know, intellection time is. That's when I get to let my mind run and I usually get my best ideas either in the shower or the bath. So you can bet I'm a voice memo person. <laughs> Just imagine your husband it. walking by and be like, she's talking to herself he's, again. He's it's so book used to it now. He's like, oh my God. And she goes again. Babe, you need a Diet Coke book. in there? It sounds like you're going to be in there for a while. <laughs> you're getting parched. <laughs> Are there any specific programs you use to write? I use Scrivener. And interestingly okay. enough, this book for the con for the canine continuity for some reason i wrote in word and i don't mm -hmm. really know why i did other than i think i just wanted it to flow and not break any of it out into chapters but most of the time i do write in scrivener so i can set up chapters and know how things are going to go and i think that's uh an important part <laughs> of the process that people don't recognize enough is that you it changes with every book it's never the same process. And um, the sooner you accept that, <laughs> the more the more peace you will have in your writing life. Because um, sometimes you just need to, uh, sometimes I dictate a lot. Sometimes I'm typing. Sometimes I dictate really ugly, you know, words that don't, aren't really English words come out of my mouth and they end up on the dictation. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what I meant to say there. <laughs> I wonder what that. That made no sense whatsoever. And sometimes they get through to my critique partner and she'll be just send me the what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, never mind. I was dictating. Let's get into some, some backlist questions. The first one is one that I wish that I would have jotted down, but I knew that I put it on there. Think back to your backlist. First, we're going to talk about a character. So whether it's a character or a yeah. scene from a specific book that you've written, mm -hmm. which book from your backlist has a character that still comes across, like comes across your mind the most? Oh man, that's hard. And and now I'm blanking on my own character. <laughs> How bad is that? Um, Flip This Love, uh, which is part of the Men of Mobile series okay. now that I just re-released. I just got rid of rights back and just re-released in the first one, Going Deep is Free. And the second one is called Flip This Love. And um, there's a hero in there named Harley Cade, mm -hmm. who is a, um, a self-made man. And he is the epitome of the cocky Southern guy who has made it all on his own. And he's going to, um, to be soft in the middle. Uh, and I, <laughs> I like Harley Cade. I, I and I have to admit though, uh, uh, in this intrigue series in the third book, uh, Harry Hayes has a. I have a thing for Harrison Hayes, the prosecuting attorney. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the, and and the cover art when the cover art came through, I'm like, yeah, that's him. Oh my, I love him. <laughs> Sorry. And then my husband just like, I'm like, sorry, honey. Um, but, oh, yeah. I like Harry Hayes, too. Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing at the most while writing? Easy Bake Lovin'. 
Easy bake. <laughs> <laughs> it was so easy. So such an easy answer. Easy bake loving. And I just got the rights back to that series. And it's a part of my single dad series. I married a single dad. So that series has a special place in my yeah. heart. But easy bake loving. I wrote a heroine who owns an adult bakery. And I got to make up all the names for her <laughs> concoctions. Like Boston cream bosom. <laughs> and yeah, and I just, my critique partner mm-hmm. and I would just kill ourselves. Like, and I think we were the only ones that found it funny. But my, no, my editor found it funny. And we were just killing ourselves laughing. She's like, I can't believe, like, I made like chocolate donut holes. I think I called them bung holes or something <laughs> like that. The and joys <laughs> of writing romance, I swear. Oh my, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I, I think I, and she was just totally uh, like a free spirited, mm-hmm. I'm going to do my thing kind of heroine that I am totally not. So it was fun for me to write. Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? There are some that are like pulling teeth and some that flow like water. And the ones that flow like water, you always love a little more because they were so easy and they usually are not the Mm -hmm. ones that resonate with readers. Yeah. I Um, I felt like that's what you were going to say. That makes so much sense. I had a hard time pulling off Love and Rockets, which was the third of the Metamobile series. And that, and I don't know why, because I loved the hero and heroine so much, but I think it was that I Mm -hmm. cared about them so much that I was just all wrapped up in my head about getting it right. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. they, um, I think they deserved the good story they got. Yeah. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to, out to you about the most? Love Game. Love Game. Absolutely Love Game. When I started that book, I set out to write a heroine wow. who was absolutely at the top of her game. Unquestionably kick-ass, unquestionably not getting the credit or the money she deserved. And um, I wrote about pay disparity uh, and um, I love college athletics. I love NCAA football and basketball. And so it was one that I got, I got fan mail from guys who picked it up because it was, uh, it had to do with NCAA mm-hmm. sports. And, and they were like, oh man, you are a fan. I'm like, yes, I am. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Is there a book in your backlist or, you know, if you could talk specifically about multiple books, whichever, that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer I think and and I keep coming back to love game but I I will say love game quickly because I think (laughs) that was the one I pitched to Sarah and she was the first one to verbalize what I think I had been writing all along which was feminist sex positive romance Mm -hmm. I never Mm -hmm. apologize for my heroines liking sex and I never thank you I don't (laughs) I never, yeah, I don't want to pretend that I was a 27-year-old virgin. I was not, (laughs) you know, so, um, yeah, I think uh, that's Mm -hmm. one that I think I I get more feedback on because people are always like, hey, yeah, that resonated. Yeah, yeah. And time for some round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Oh, (laughs) I usually, I reread a lot. um, And I'm always jealous when people get to read books for the first time. Um, I'm going to go with Susan Elizabeth Phillips, 
and it's not one of her more popular ones. It's Breathing Room. Breathing? Yeah. Um, it's the one set in Italy. And uh, yeah, I really love that book. And I wish I could read it all over again yep. for the first time. You talked about her and Nora Roberts at the beginning of the interview. Have you actually gotten to meet Susan yet? Because I know you met Nora. Yes, I met her in an elevator at RWA. Oh. I'm like, hi. I love you. so much. She's so gracious and so lovely and funny and friendly. And and, and Nora was lovely, too. I, I, yeah, they just, I mean, that, yeah, Nora's like that aunt you want to hang out with. Yeah, because she's just like, yeah, she's just going to tell it to you straight. Um, Susan Elizabeth Phillips is grace and perfection and perfect and and loveliness with a clown nose on. Yeah. Because oh. she has such a brilliant sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So you would take this perfectly turned out woman and she knows that she's got it all together, but she's not afraid to make fun of herself for it. So love it. Yeah. What? Totally fangirl there. She just <laughs> in the me. elevator. Some best, the best. What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded mm-hmm. you of why you love the genre? I, I'm going to go back to Mary McFarland's books. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I, I, I got to give you two. Mary McFarland's um, just last night. I think it was the most recent one because not only is it laugh out loud funny, but it's a book about grief and it shows us how multidimensional romance can be and uh how deep it goes yeah the other one would be ronnie lauren's yes and i love you um because Mm -hmm. she has a neurodiverse heroine in there and it's again laugh out loud funny a delightful hero and absolutely shows us that love is for everyone who was your teenage celebrity crush john taylor from duran duran (laughs) Karen Booth and I fight. Karen Booth and I fight over him all the time. When we were roommates at RWA in uh, New York in 2015, she, I brought a uh, my cutout of Jamie Fraser because I was obsessed <laughs> with Outlander at the time, and she brought a cutout of John Taylor, and we would like fight over him. But we're such good friends love that love we've it. agreed that we would just be sister wives, and it'd be okay. It's okay. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, when you said it said it earlier, I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I know her and Karen Booth are friends, and Karen yeah. Booth loves Duran Duran." So. Yeah, John, we were both JT fans, now, and I did branch out a little bit. I loved the guys from Split Ends and um, Adamant, and you know, but John Taylor was—I mean, I screamed all the way through the concert when I was 15 years old, and I've seen them <laughs> in concert every decade of my life so far. And I need this pandemic to end because I'm in my 50s now. And it's time to see him again. Yeah. Yeah. Name one film you'll never stop watching. Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> it's our Christmas film. My husband and I watch it on Christmas Eve. Um, I'm also a huge Monty Python fan, so I can recite most of Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. I have I have Black Knight dolls that talk. Yep. And when my grandsons were little, they were their favorite toys. And I would take them and, the, and the, the, the doll would be saying, I'll bite your leg off. And, and they would think that was hysterical. And I'd be like, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Oh, man. So many. Um, Give them to whatever, whatever you want to share. Let's hear them. <laughs> women need to give themselves more credit than 
they do because we're running this world. And yeah, I just say, I think that's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> glad my husband's outside. <laughs> he doesn't often recognize that I am the boss, but I am. And, um, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's my hill. I will fight. That's why I don't like to, I don't mm-hmm. like stories that capitalize on women in peril because I think we're far more competent than that. I am the queen of, uh, I had someone tell me that I write competence porn and I wholeheartedly uh, agree. I don't know any woman that can't keep her life together. Yeah. Yeah. I can't hold it all together for her family, for mm-hmm. her friends, for her, whatever her group is. I, I, I am surrounded by competent women and I celebrate them. Yeah. They need to be celebrated more. Give credit and also just remember, mm-hmm. like, like I'm reading The Summer Seekers by Sarah Morgan right now. And that's mm-hmm. a big theme in the mm-hmm. book of like, as women, we have to remember to have something for ourselves. Like, yeah, you're a wife and you're a mom, yes. but that's not all you are. What do you yeah. like to do? What are you passionate mm-hmm. about? What are you doing for yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I, I think with pandemic life, it's been so every day just feels the same. And I just, I was really struggling with that. And I was like, you know what? You are right. What do I have for myself when I have a quiet moment during the day? So yeah, Mm -hmm. give yourself credit and (laughs) own that. Celebrate your wins. Celebrate your wins. Yes. (laughs) Because we don't, we do not celebrate the things that we kick ass at. We just move on to the next. Yeah. Um, and I think, and that's, I'm as bad as anybody. I mean, look, I got back-to-back releases on these books. Do you think I even went out to dinner when the first one went out? No, I went to Walmart with my girlfriend, took a picture, came home, and went back to writing the next book. Did I celebrate my win? No, I could have bought a cupcake when I was there. I probably should have bought a cupcake while I was there. I am going to the grocery store after this, and I'm getting a cupcake and celebrating for you. You deserve a cupcake. (laughs) We all deserve a cupcake. <laughs> what is one of your favorite romance tropes mm-hmm. to read? I, I'm a, a friends to lovers, enemies to lovers fan. Oh. Yeah. I think that that's, I love the evolution of friendship. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, the, the idea, the, the wild idea I have running around in the back of my mind is going to be all about friendship. I love friendship that evolves into love of all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there a category romance series or line you wish never went away? Please. Please. <laughs> the cult Why classic. Can't we have the sexy times. <laughs> we do not read Tiffany Rice's Handyman series. How could yeah, you right? not read those series and not want more? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you. <laughs> Jill Shalvis was a Blaze author forever, and I, I loved those books. Blaze, you know, and I know they tried with Dare and whatever, but Blaze had its own thing. Yeah. Because they were like, they were blue collar people. These were people you knew, and they were getting on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the lady across the street, maybe. It could be anybody. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, with that hot cable gun. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah, I feel like we have to get like Blaze appreciation shirts that just say like Blaze, the cult yeah. classic. Bring back Blaze. <laughs> Tough love. What's been one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given? Mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing for me coming from the mm-hmm. time when I started writing from 2009, you know, 10 on 
at the time, everything was published faster, more faster, more faster, more faster. And when I signed with Sarah, one of the first things she did is, you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Your books are not a commodity. They're, you know, there's something that you need to slow down and appreciate and pay attention to and, and give more time and love to. And I have struggled with that because uh, we started in an era of keep cranking them out. And of course that the indie verse is still in it and KU encourages it. And I think it's very detrimental to writers Mm -hmm. and to your creativity. Uh, I burned out bad in 2019 Mm -hmm. on my word. And uh, then I wrote three books last year. So I think you have to give yourself time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. more faster, more writing is the worst advice I ever got. I'm sure you have to like okay. experience the world for creativity. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I see, you know, we will see you like you have three books coming out back mm-hmm. to back. And it's like yeah. at some point she had to step away and like watch a movie, go to Binge dinner watch. with her husband, <laughs> take a walk, you yeah. know, like the creative, yeah. write some fan write some fan fiction. And these are things that I had to learn to do. Yeah. In between doing those books. And I can do like I said, I can turn mm-hmm. them up fast. But when I yeah, the other part of that is learning yourself and your rhythm. I work well with a deadline. Mm-hmm. If you and I don't work well with self-imposed deadlines. Okay. I can put myself off. But if I promise you that I'm going to give you a book on a certain day, you can bet I will meet or beat that deadline. Mm-hmm. So, um we all have to know ourselves well enough to know how we yeah. produce yeah. well. I will say that in the new contract I signed, I built an extra month into my creation of the books. Now, whether they re whether they release them back to back, that's up to Harlequin. But um, I gave myself an extra month in the creation to take a little downtime because writing these three back to back, while it was good because it kept me in that universe, it was also very hard. And I went through, like I said, a period of fog after I turned the last one in where I did nothing but sit here in front of Netflix and Apple TV, like Mm -hmm. this, just absorbing content because I needed to know what I missed while I was out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And especially I think for intrigue, right? Like you're writing some gritty stuff. I can imagine like, I just need to like sit here and I'd watch Hallmark for like a month straight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, I like to say Ted Lasso saved my life. There was no happier show on earth than mm-hmm. that, that to make you feel good about things. And I just, I, I watch it. I can't tell. I watched season one, like four times. Wow. <laughs> and now I'm in season two and I'm rewatching every episode because it's like my, it is a dose of happy for me that I don't have to think hard about that. I don't have to do anything about it. It just comes at me mm-hmm. and I could just absorb it. Um, and, and so like I did the thing in, um, and if you, if anyone who's watched Ted Lesson is that one of the things is he tells one of his players, the animal with the shortest memory is a goldfish <laughs> and to be a goldfish. And so that's like my motto for everything this year, be a goldfish, forget about it, move on. It's, you know, don't dwell on it. Don't sit in it for too long. Just find something new to think about. 
be a goldfish. 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? Holy crap, I did all that. <laughs> um, I was hoping you were going to say like runs on diet coke. <laughs> what was she on? <laughs> I can't say that because yeah, I was a child of the 80s. We all know what they were on. Um, but I, I'm only on diet coke. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> runs on diet coke. Yeah, would be probably it. Yeah, fueled by caffeine. Um, yeah, caffeine and cheese lips. Blame it on the cheese lips. So lastly, <laughs> tell us where everybody can follow you online. Look, sign up for the newsletter, all the things. I am everywhere. Um, and the best place to find me is my website, which is maggie-wells.com. Mm -hmm. And my newsletter sign up is on there. And I've decided that I'm going back to blogging. Yes. And I know that blogging is not hip and cool. You even put that I in your blog post. You're like, I know. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to read this. And I was like, I'm but reading it, it. Keep blogging. <laughs> it works for me. And I think blogging is more personal. I can tell you what I'm doing mm -hmm. in my life. And that I drove around yesterday with an hour for, for yeah. an hour with my husband. We went to the Dairy Queen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, I, I like blogging mm -hmm. for a personal thing. I think the newsletter, you tend to get more of the writing side of me and what's going on with the writing, which is good. That's why you signed up for the newsletter. Um, in the blog, you get more of the personal, you get that and the I'm mm -hmm. struggling with this this week, or I am super excited because I did this yeah. this week. And so you get a little more personal glimpse in the blog, but I am on social media and I will admit I'm trying to cut back on my presence on social media oh. because I don't always think it's healthy uh, for people to be on there that much. I do have a Facebook page, you know, Maggie Wells. You can find me under my real name, Margaret Etheridge, if you want. I'm friends with everybody. Um, and uh, I'm Maggie underscore Wells one on Twitter. Twitter, I go on and play and then leave. Yeah. Because I do believe it can draw you down. Um, and I am Maggie Wells one on Instagram. And I love to post pictures of my dogs and my flowers. Your and cat? My tiny, my, the, the cat is not even my cat. The cat is my office cat. Your office she cat. She lives in my office. And she's my supervisor, Princess. Uh, she's the owner's cat. She lives there and she is more famous than I'll ever hope to be. Uh, but she, <laughs> she is, uh, she's a hoot man, but she is my supervisor. She's 13 years old. She has seniority over all of us and is not afraid to exert her power. Mm, I love it. Cause you always uh, put like hashtag supervisor, hashtag yeah, princess in that order. Yeah. Office cat. Yeah. Supervisor. Yeah, mm -hmm. Her name is princess and she's my supervisor and my bosses love it too. They follow my Instagram account and they're all like, yeah, there she is again. Um, <laughs> they're all excited that their cats are the yeah, star now. I'm like, yeah. Um, but she does literally like look down over my monitor. Like, are you working? Yeah. I would like, to, I would like to sit on that pile of it's papers. If you so don't mind. funny. And we like, we fight all day long. I'm like, no, I'm working on that. You can't sit there. Uh, Cause I don't have a cat at home. I have very needy dogs at home. And so I go home and they, I have, uh, we have a, a Labrador who, if anyone's ever had a Labrador, you know, they're the neediest creatures on earth until 
you meet a German Shepherd Labrador mix. And then they're needy and demanding. Yeah. <laughs> and so Sally is just quietly needy and Timber is needy and going to stand on you until you give her what she needs. <laughs> they, they are outside with the husband right now because they, otherwise they'd be like scratching down the door. Yeah. Let me in. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Uh, this has been fun. Listen, so much fun, guys. You. And I appreciate you listening to me ramble. No. I know I talked too much. <laughs> Please like. come back. I mean, once the, the new I'd love to. The new series, however you yes. want to do it, just please come yep. back. Uh, we're so excited. Yep. Yeah. And yep. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to take a picture of the cupcake and send it to you. <laughs> you should. There we go. Please do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know what I think would be fun. And I'll say, uh, yeah, let's hear and you can you know, cut it if you don't want it. Yep. I think it'd be fun if we could get me and Booth on at the same time. It's because, it's you know, deal. we started the season romance thing together. So if you get us on a rant, you can you get like did. the whole origin story. Oh my God. I made up the season romance name. So you can make blame me if you hate it. People are like, I hate that. I'm like, well, it's my fault. Sorry. So <laughs> you and Karen need to come up mm-hmm. with a book for us to buddy read together. And then you guys come back on. We're holding you to it. <laughs> We'll come back. We'll, we'll buddy read uh, Karen's next release, Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, listeners, we- make sure you check out in the show notes. We will leave a link to all the places where you can find and keep up with Maggie, as well as where you can track down the books. Um, like we said, book one in the series is already out. And then next month, the next book comes out. And then the following month, the next book comes out. And then we have, yeah. is it 2022? Or twenty three when the next twenty twenty two is when the next one comes yeah, out. I'll have well, I'll have the continuity in twenty twenty two. I'm thinking that the next series will be twenty three, but I don't have okay. dates on those yet. Okay. Um, but I will have also a little Christmas short story coming out that I am indie releasing so this year. Hopefully, I'll have that out Christmas. in November. Okay. Yeah, it's just a little short that I did about somebody who's like a DoorDash delivery driver. Hey. <laughs> So we will also leave links to Harlequin, Mills, and Boone. So you guys, wherever you order the books from, you can track it down. Thank you again for being here with us. It was so much fun. Hey, thanks so much. (laughs) It was so much fun. Thank you. Sarah and I will chat with you guys in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Bye.